All right, welcome to another episode of Unpack That. I am so thankful that you're listening with us today. I am without my trusty sidekick, Hunter Williams. He is serving our great country with jury duty, but... I may be missing Batman, but I have his Robin, Mr. <laughs> Tylen Richardson. How you doing, brother? I'm good. Best Chris, how are you? Man, I'm good. Tylen serves as our worship resident today, and he's going to be interviewing me today for Unpack That. Tylen, what is Unpack That? So the purpose of Unpack That is to dive deeper in some application from yesterday's sermon and answer any questions that our congregation may have after listening to the sermon. For future reference, if you have any questions, you can email us at connect at piedmont.church piedmontchurch.net and we'd be happy to answer them for you uh, just to help us out questions should be sent in by Monday morning if you could help us out in that way so you ready Pastor Chris? I am ready let's do this so question number one Pastor Chris yesterday you talked about putting Jesus at the center of our lives and you spent a good deal of time unpacking the text of the Good Samaritan explaining to us that we cannot be Good Samaritans in the way that Jesus was explaining. What did you mean by that? And what would you say to someone who would respond by talking about all the good people around the world, whether they have faith or not, and the good deeds that they do? Yeah, so good question. So I think one of the things we run into in life sometimes, um, when we look in the text and we see things like um, scriptures that point out like even our best uh, actions are uh, filthy rags and scripture actually uses like more harsh language we just that's kind of the g-rated filthy rags version and then we look around our world we go man that person over there i mean they did really good things this person over there did really good things people used to use like the the mother Teresa type uh, analogy of um, she may not have faith in jesus but look what kind of humanitarian acts that she does if you look around um today they they say that the millennial generation and gen z generation are the most humanitarian generations that any generation in this world has ever seen before. So how can we say that we're not good Samaritans? And I think I would go back to answer that question, Tyler, to say, well, I think we're not good Samaritans in the way that Jesus explains it to the lawyer. So if you go back to that text in Luke chapter 10, what Jesus uh, exemplifies and puts on display in that Samaritan man who we then call good is boundless generosity. It's this idea of he sees someone who on a normal day, that person would probably never want to experience them. Meaning Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. Most of the time, Jews would call Samaritans racial slurs. They were outcasts. There were people looked down upon. And this Samaritan comes upon this person who has probably spewed hate into their life, maybe not personally, but, you know, just culturally, sociologically, that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And what is the good, what is this Samaritan who we then define as good in this parable do? He goes above and beyond. Yeah. He picks him up. He bandages his wounds. He takes him to a place to stay, to heal. And then once he gets there, he looks at the dude who's in charge of the whole place while he's staying and says, hey, I've given you about two months rent. If there are any other charges, I'll pick it up. And that, to me, that, that's something that we don't do. So do we see good in the world? Absolutely, we see good in the world. Do we see people um, going above and beyond to help those who don't have anything or to help those in need? Absolutely. So I, I think there's a term in Scripture 
um, that, that we, we kind of, we've defined it from scripture, I should say. It's a term called common grace. Um, if you walk through the scriptures, what you'll see when the Holy Spirit entered our atmosphere, um, so to speak, uh, kind of when Jesus was baptized, uh, the dove coming down over Jesus, and you hear the, the he hears the voice of the Father in that moment. Uh, a lot of theologians believe that's like the moment where the Holy Spirit came and not only dwelt in people through the sacrifice of Jesus later, but he started to come and dwell on this earth. And so when we started to see good things happen, um, you can put it in two categories, and they both come underneath common grace. The first is that we are made in the image of God, Amazio Dei. And so there's parts of us as humans that have the image of God, that do good things, but it's fractured, it's broken, it's bent. The other part comes in is this common grace idea where the Holy Spirit has come and he still moves and good things happen because he is helping them to happen. But to the fullness and the degree of boundless grace that we see from this good Samaritan who ends up in the story, as we know, becoming Jesus, this is a picture of his overarching grace. We don't get that far on our own. We can't be that person. And so if you left that sermon or leave a sermon from the good Samaritan thinking, I just need to be a better person, what you missed, just like the lawyer, was that you can't be a good enough person to be holy. Because mm-hmm. as soon as you messed up once, you're no longer holy. And so can we do good things? Yes. The goal is not to be a good Samaritan. The goal is to die to self and let Christ live through you. And there's really two quotes that um, came to my mind, and they've been quotes that have impacted my ministry and my Christian walk. The first one is actually from a Catholic priest. His name is Brennan Manning, and it was out on a DC Talk album. I don't know if you heard this album, uh, Thailand. It was called Jesus Freak. Man, I, I love the song. From yeah, DC Talk. so yeah. that is probably one of the most monumental Christian albums ever, and I will mm. I will stand on that. Like it <laughs> has shifted Christian music forever. But uh, I think it was like it was in the middle of that grunge era in the '90s. But they played. Brennan Manning's quote over some music right before they get, went into a song, and I can't remember what song it is, but his quote is this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. Mm. And so that's getting to the point of us gathering and worshiping Jesus, but then when we scatter, we talk about, oh, let's try to be this great are this good Samaritan we can only Jesus can and so there's a half acknowledgement there that we need to know that we're gonna fail and the other half acknowledgement is that Christ never fails and so we need to rest in him the, the, the second one and I think this will kind of spur us to our second question is from Gandhi um, he says I like your Christ I do not like your Christians your Christians are so unlike your Christ And so what we need to do and what we need to look around is when we see people doing good things around us in the world, acknowledge that that's great. It's, I mean, good is almost never bad, right? That's why it's called good. Yeah, yeah. But the point of Jesus's message was that you can't be perfect and holy, and he can be. He is. And so it's not for you to go out and be a good person. That's, he does desire us to, to be more like him, and we'll get to that in question two. But the point of his message was to be less like you and die and become more like Jesus, like we sang. So, Amen to that. Yeah. yeah.
Oh, awesome. Are you ready for the next question? Let's hit it. Let's go. Let's go. I'll read it to you. Again, back to the sermon. You talked about putting Jesus at the center of our lives. You even used an illustration describing a calm pond and Jesus being a large rock cast into the middle of that pond. And every ripple that the rock creates are the things in our life. Can you give us a few examples of what happens when Jesus is at the center of our lives? Yeah, so I think um, some people leave a sermon like yesterday and go, why didn't he give us more application? <laughs> in some ways, the reason I don't give more application in, uh, to sermons like that is sometimes I just run out of time, right? <laughs> uh, when I'm unpacking the text and telling the story, you get to a point where you're like, I'm just out of time. There's other times where I want to rely on the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do. Because as soon as I give an illustration, I lead our minds down a path. Whereas the Holy Spirit knows exactly where every single person in the room is. So we had, mm -hmm. you know, hundreds of people, you know, hear our messages at times. And I can't give you hundreds of applications. But each one of us, the hundreds of us, have very specific application points from a message, right? Yeah. The interpretation should always be theologically sound and essentially the same interpretation, but there are hundreds of different applications. When we get to this question of how, when Jesus is the big rock cast into the pond of our life and every ripple comes off of that, what does that look like? What are those ripples? So, you know, one could be parenting, right? So my wife and I have an eight-year-old, a five-year-old. What is parenting as christ-centered people look like versus what does parenting look like uh for people let's just say people who just go to church because mm -hmm. um, if we're not careful we can end up starting off as these like very christ-centered driven christians and we can sometimes kind of just in our apathy and our busyness and really temptations of the devil end up being just church-going people you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I would say that there's two different pictures we're sending to our kids. So the first one, uh, or actually, I'll start at the latter, right? So the latter of the person who just kind of goes to church, acknowledges that Jesus is who he is. When difficult things come in our kid's life, we run back to Jesus. Mm -hmm. But what disciples do is we craft and mold other disciples in preparation for those moments. So as a parent who's Christ-centered, I'm asking the questions, how am I discipling my two-year-old, my five-year-old, my 15-year-old to be able to endure what Jesus says he's going or she's going to endure? For our family, it's taking opportunities to talk about the gospel. It's reading scripture together. Uh, we used to have really cute, precious worship moments we don't have them as much now that our kids are just a little bit older. It was great when like my oldest was six and my youngest was three. I feel like we could get them to sit down and calm down. And, <laughs> but now they're, they're a little more rambunctious. So um, we're, we're actually about to try to implement that back in. And so we'll read scriptures together. Sometimes we'll sing together. But I think the most important part for us, for our family rhythm, is sitting at the dinner table, talking about our day, and then talking about it in a way that brings... God glory and not in like a um, ambiguous way but a very direct how did you see the Lord move today yeah. and like yeah. my wife and I will answer that um, and sometimes we'll say something like we'll, we'll reveal our sin in the day like 
here's somewhere I really messed up and I need y'all's help help in prayer. I, like we talk about, guys, I need your help. I'm not having great patience as a parent today. And I need Jesus' help to mold my life into that. Um, when When we're disciplining our kids, we try to have conversations about why we do things and why we don't do things, not from a behavior modification standpoint, but from a place of this is how Christ has modeled us to follow him. So that's one way, right? Parenting. Um, let's talk about dating, mm-hmm. right? Got a lot of singles in our church. Yeah. yeah. So Christ-centered dating versus dating without, I would say, the moral compass of Jesus. I think they start off two totally different ways. Before you even put your name in the the app that you're going to look for that person, <laughs> um, Christ-centered dating begins with the understanding that you're dating in hopes of finding that soulmate, we'll call them, right? That spouse. Uh, and so there's almost like a uh, covenantal desire in your first steps rather than a physical desire. Or rather than just somebody relationally I can talk with, there is a desire to, man, I want to be married one day or one day soon, right? Mm -hmm. And so even from the outset, it isn't just about sex. It isn't just about having fun. It is about finding a lifelong partner that we've been modeled in Scripture to to be with, you know? And, And shoot, Paul even says, like, hey, if... If uh, sex is one of those things that you like to have and you're struggling doing a single, get married, right? Like he literally says those, those types of things. And so I think when Christ is at the center of your life, the way you date somebody, the starting point is different. And then obviously the boundaries that you set up are different. Now, that's not to say that people who are outside of Christ, you know, they're only ever just looking for sex or uh, it's just a good time. Man, they're looking for people as well. But I do think that the rubber meets the road when our worldviews are shaped by Jesus. We talk about being an employee, doing all things to the glory of God, like serving with excellence. Um, when somebody, you know, shopping at a store, uh, you put something in your cart, the person scanning your cart, or you forget somehow in the scan, scan as you go thing, and you walk out of the store and you realize you didn't pay for it. Do you go back mm-hmm. or do you let it go? Oh, nobody, this, this is a crime that doesn't hurt anybody. Well, it's not, well, first off, I wouldn't say it's a crime because you didn't willingly do it and it was an accident. You can go back and fix it. Um, but I would say this, it's the, you know, we've had stores in our city close because too many customers and employees were stealing and the, the businesses couldn't stay open. So tell me and tell a, a small business owner that their product being taken without being paid for doesn't hurt them. It hurts. No, did the one thing of a Coke, you know, you order water at the restaurant and you go get a Coke, did that necessarily kill that small business owner? No. But there is an an aspect of which we've been called to be set apart and do the right thing. And so I, I think I'm going on and on, so I'm just going to stop. But I think when Jesus calls us to put him at the center of our life, there is not an area of our life that is untouched unless we deny him rights to that place like we say hey we're not giving this over to you and at what point we will at which point we will then have a rub with have we surrendered to jesus does that make sense no that makes sense okay total sense well awesome well pastor chris thank you so much for having me on the show today yeah man Uh, thanks robin hood not robin hood just robin right robin Robin. hey listeners we appreciate your time and we hope that these questions and answers have helped 
lead you to a place to make disciples and lead people to love God, love people, and invest in His kingdom. We'll talk to you next time. See ya! As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast and you think somebody else would like it, uh, you could do a couple things for us. You could absolutely rate and review us on whatever podcast service you're listening to. But I think more importantly, what we would love is for you to maybe text that friend, send this episode to them. Uh, We want to reach people, but we want to do it on an individual basis. And so if you think this would be a great tool uh, for a friend of yours, why don't you just send them this, send them a quick text message or email and say, hey, I thought about you when listening to this and I thought you'd love this. So thanks again. Now, go lead people to love God, love people and invest in his kingdom. We will see you in a couple of weeks.